it is nice to be back here and to have you be kind enough to ask me to come and allow me to share God's word with you and preach. Um, and I don't take it lightly, may it, and may I never do that. Um, God's word is holy, God's word is living, God's word is absolute truth. And uh, I will probably say that many times. I, I, I want you to know a little bit about who I am, because otherwise it's really hard for you to I just think there's, it's good to know a little bit about who is the person that's standing up here and, and uh, why I might say what I, I say. So, my name is Dan. My last name is Winklewitch. There will be a test over that in three weeks. See who can spell it. Uh, I grew up in Sibley, Iowa. And so, you had here, I think just a couple of weeks ago, Doug Noonkester came for Steve's uh, farewell. So Doug is the pastor of the church that I grew up in. Of course, Doug came years after I was gone, uh, but I do know Doug somewhat, and my sister still attends church there, so of course we go back home occasionally. Um, but that's where I, I grew up, and who am I today? So I live in Milford, Iowa. Um, I work at a business which uh, works with monitoring stored grains. I do that full time. That, that's a very important part because you all need to know that when I was in seminary, our professor said for a sermon that every minute in the pulpit should be backed up by an hour in the study. You are not getting that. There is no way I can do that. I will do my best. Some sermons will have less hours in them than others. Uh, because I, I, my sermon prep time is early in the morning, late at night, or sometimes driving down the road. Sometimes it's on an airplane, because I do travel a bit. Uh, the other key thing you need to know about me is in my home, I do have three children, a daughter named Natasha, who's 25, a son named Juan, who is 19, he's a sophomore at Iowa State, and I have a young daughter, Sophie, who is eight, you probably will never meet her. She's a special needs girl. She's autistic. She's nonverbal. She has to have someone with her all the time. She is, without a doubt, the most painful, unbelievable blessing that God has ever put in my life. And at times I will talk about her, but though, so I'm either at work or I am at home engaged in, with Sophie. Um, so I've got... If you count, I've got, yeah, I've got old kids and I've got young kids and that's the way my life has developed. So that's, who I, that's a little bit about who I am. You'll learn more as I go. Um, <coughs> and, uh, oh, oh, by the way, yeah, I don't want to scare you. I won't always wear a jacket and tie. Sometimes I will. I told Thor was quite impressed this morning. Um, and he said he was going to rush right out and start to dress like this. So, yeah. Um, no, he did not say that. <clears throat> I said that in jest. But I said, well, the truth is, I put on, packed on so many pounds over the holidays, and I'm shortly going on one business trip and then another. I had to put this stuff on and make sure I could still fit in it. Um, but I do generally, I, sometimes I'll wear a tie, sometimes I don't. I don't think God cares. So, um, let's have a word of prayer <coughs> for me. Before we start, Father, thank you for the fact that you allow me 
sinner, reconciled to you, who is a propitiation for my sin, to call me into a relationship with you and use me in spite of the fact that I am not completely sanctified yet. But Lord, thank you for never quitting on us, never quitting on me, and never quitting on anybody who is in this world. And we thank you. Lord, I ask that you would get the honor and glory for this, and Lord, help me to be honest, transparent, and to teach well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, if you want to follow with me, is from Genesis chapter 12, and uh, it reads this way. Now, I, you may use, I think you're using the English Standard Version if it's in the, what I saw there in the chairs. Uh, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, but they're, they're very close. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and curse the, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there to the mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And that's our reading for today. For over the next several Sundays, I'm going to bring to you a series of sermons on the life of Abraham. I know you probably, most of you, spent most, you spend most of your time in the New Testament. Well, let's start back here. I hope you read your Bibles. Just having them does you no good. You actually have to read them. One of the things that we sell to monitor grain are these temperature cables and they hang in a bin. The last thing I tell the people who buy them is, say, is this. I want you to know, these only work if you actually use them. Because they don't. They'll call back and say, you know, I've got these things hanging in my bin, and I just pulled some grain out, and I, I just lost 10,000 bushels. It's all rotten. Oh, well, how often were you checking the temps on it? Oh, well, I didn't ever actually get around to using them. Oh, well, you might try that with your car. It really doesn't need to change the oil. That's just, would you do that? No. Well, the same thing is true. So I do want to start out, this is a Bible. You should read it, okay? And when you read it, it will affect your life. Now, <clears throat> most of us spend most of our time in the New Testament. We're going to spend time in the Old Testament, and I, there's a very good reason why. One, I am able to identify with those characters much more than I'm able to identify with Paul, who once he be, uh, turns to Christ, seemingly, well, he has a thorn, but we never know what it is. Peter, you know, he has a little whoopsie there, but most of us struggle in life, and we struggle to be good followers of Christ like Abraham did, which you're gonna, we're going to learn about. So we're going to look at his life, and we're going to look at that man of faith. Now, when we look at Scripture, and we're looking in Genesis, remember that Abraham was a giant of a man. In all of Scripture, 
probably Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David. There are just a very few that stand out like he does. Well, we can learn from him. We can learn that from Abraham comes this whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict, this Jewish-Christian-Muslim conflict from one small or large error. Uh, we learn about Western and Eastern and husband and wife and what went on between he and Sarah and between brothers and sisters. And I think we'll learn well. Now, when we think of the Bible, we think of 66 books. There are 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. You go to the Old Testament, it's very easy to remember. There are 17 historical books. They come first. And then there are five poetical books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then 17 prophetical books. We're back in the history part. If you like, you can easily divide the Bible up into 12 eras or sections. And the first one, of course, is creation where Adam is created by God, but he sins and destroys God's original plan for man. That's in Genesis 1 and 2, the fall in chapter 3, the floods in 4 to 10, the Tower of Babel in 11, and then here comes Abraham and the age of the patriarchs. Any of you, when you were young, now I was in Awana when I was a kid, so and we sang this crazy song called Father Abraham. Anybody ever sung that song? All right. Yes, we're not doing that this morning. <laughs> but if you fall asleep, we will. Um, but Abraham is chosen by God to father a people to represent God to the world. Never forget, God didn't choose Israel to be a bad example. He wanted Israel to be such a shining, great, wonderful example that the world would look and say, wow, look at what happens when a people... And their whole mind is sold out to following God, how they are blessed, and what a wonderful life they live. But they haven't lived that way. Now, I will tell you about my own life. There are basically two ways that Daniel lives. I would say there was a time in my life where I was very religious and I looked good, but I did it my way, just like old Frank Sinatra. And now I do it God's way. It doesn't look quite as elegant, but the blessings, it's, it's a completely different life. So Abraham, and this is called a step of faith. Well, it's a time of faith for you guys, isn't it? How long was uh, Steve pastor here? How many years? 12 years? Oh, 12 years. Feels pretty good to be without a senior pastor, doesn't it? Oh, it doesn't, does it? No, no. It feels kind of uncomfortable. You feel a little lost. There are always, always problems, and uh, as I move from church to church, I hear about this problem, I hear about that problem, and every once in a while I say, oh, that sounds like problem number 26, because there's nothing new under the sun, folks. So first of all, I want to tell you that this morning, when you came to church, uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he was seated there five years ago, and he'll be seated there five years from now, and he is looking at you and smiling, as I think he did this is how I imagine it. I imagine the father leaning over to Jesus and saying, Son, <clears throat> do you see Dan and Louisa there? Yep. You see their nice, perfectly organized OCD house? Yep. They're going to have a child. I'm going to send them Sophie. And I imagine they chuckled. And I have often imagined Christ seated there and saying he knew what he was doing. 
I want to tell you, folks, he knows what he's doing. He is not worried about what's going to happen. You are. Well, some of you are. Some of you lie. But most of you probably are. And so Jesus is not. And he's got a plan. Now, our struggle, and this is where you'll either grow in faith or you'll get weak, and that is how do you follow? How do you follow? How do you grow? Well, so let's take a look at Abraham and see what we can learn from him. Now, Abraham was quite a guy. He was the first Hebrew. He was the first Jew. He's the father of Christianity. He's the father of Islam. And the, and the Muslims all call him El Hilel, the friend of God, Abraham. Good question. Are you a friend of God? Do you know it? Does he know your name real well? You talk a lot. He's the founder of three religions. Christianity really points to the, the number one, where it all started was with Abraham, the Jews, of course, Abraham, and the Muslims, Abraham. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. That was a big, sophisticated city, maybe like downtown Manhattan in New York City. There were libraries where he lived. There were large houses. It was in Iraq, about 75 miles away from Babylon, not far. And so he starts a journey. God says, Abraham, I want you to leave that place. Now, we just hear that and say, okay. Well, let's think about it for a minute. He starts a journey of a thousand miles. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. A thousand miles, 600 to Haran, 400 more to Canaan. 300 people probably in his whole entourage that he's got, and he's got his animals and stuff, and he's got a map. He's got to negotiate all that. But just, just think about when God comes to him and says, Abraham, one, how did Abraham know it was God? Somehow there was no doubt. But Abraham said yes, and, 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 and God said, I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go someplace you've never been before. There's no internet. There's no television. He never saw a picture of the place. So that sounds pretty bad. Now I want to imagine you. How many of you slept in a bed last night? That's nice. You do like sleeping in a bed? Bed's nice, isn't it? It's warm, comfortable. All right. Most of you, I'll bet you slept in a house last night or a hotel, but did anybody sleep outside in a tent last night? Okay, nobody did. How would you like, did any of you like to go camping? Camping's kind of fun? I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I did my years on the mission field. I slept everywhere. Yeah, no, I don't need to ever do that again. So I can do it. That's fine. But, but how would you like to do it every day for the rest of your life? No. Abraham lived in a nice house in a sophisticated area, and God said, leave it all behind and just, just follow me. And Abraham says, I'll do it. It's not that different from what Jesus calls you to do. Has anybody here ever seen heaven? No, but I know it's there, and that's where I'm going. And you're the same way. Abraham... When he takes that step, it's huge. And he takes that step of faith. And then as he arrives in Haran, and then he's coming into Canaan, and God gives him the covenant, the promise, the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And here they come. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, 
And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God calls Abraham. He leaves the family behind, the comfort behind. This is one of the most central verses in all of Scripture. This is where the nation of Israel is founded, right here. And he goes, and the promises are kept. And I don't know how many of you have visited Israel. I have. If you go, you will be amazed. You can, you can drive across into Jordan, and nothing grows. And you come across that border, and that Jewish initiative, and the way they do things, and all this, everything is great. It's just amazing. And God gave them some promises. Abraham goes from being a pantheist to a monotheist. He says, first of all, he gives him a personal promise. I'll make your name great. We know that happened. When I said I'm going to talk about Abraham this morning, almost everybody here said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know who he's talking about. Now, if I said to you, I, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, Fred Heberschneider. Anybody know Fred Heberschneider? No, because he doesn't have a great name. But God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you great. And he is. You may love him, you may hate him, but everybody knows him. He's the founder of the Jewish religion, the Muslim religion, the Christian religion, and God has made his name great. Two, God said, I'll give you a national promise. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Israel was a great nation. Israel is a great nation. And God says it will be a great nation. God keeps his promises. Is there anything else like the Israeli or the Jewish identity in the world? Wherever I go, if I, I run into Jewish people. Now, some of them, of course, if you're in Israel or you're in New York City, you know, some of them, of course, dress, they're orthodox and they dress a certain way and they walk and things like that. But the Jewish people are Jewish. Now, here, we, some of us are German. Some of us are Dutch. Some are, I, I don't know, we've probably got some Swedes and Norwegians and different things like that. But it's not the first thing you think of. You're Americans. Oh, yeah, 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 well, my great-great-great-grandpa came from there. But if you're Jewish, you're Jewish. American. You're Jewish, Russian. And all these people come together, it's kind of like the Gulf Stream in the ocean, that Jewishness remains. They're a great nation. And a blessing, God says, yeah, I'm going to bless you. And of course, when we say that we're going to bless someone, it's a wish. You say that when somebody sneezes, often. Don't you say, God bless you? Now, you don't really think about what you mean. Sometimes you actually mean it when you say, God bless you. But that's a wish. When God says, I will bless you, that's a promise. That's a completely different thing. And so there's a personal blessing, a national blessing, and then it, and the universal blessing. So these are the promises he got. And so then there's the arrival in Canaan in verses 4 through 8. Abraham arrives there with Sarah and Lot, and God gives the title deed to Abraham, and, and the later on we're going to learn about his, Isaac and Ishmael and all their problems, and, and God gives these promises. Now, you say, well, that's really nice. Way back in seminary, I had to learn 
Abrahamic covenant had land, seed, and blessing, and blah, 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 and why does that matter to me? Well, now we're going to get into why it matters to you. And so here are three lessons for life that we learn from this part of Scripture, all right? First one, God always calls us by his promises. Always calls us by his promises. Has God promised you anything? He has. Do you believe it? Now, you guys are, I don't, Tor, I don't know you. Well, wife, I bet that's your wife sitting there beside you. I mean, you look comfortable. Okay, all right. Uh, and, and, okay. Um, has Thor, does Thor ever promise you anything? Does he always keep his word? For the most part. Because, Thor, you're not God. Now, yes, all right. Several ladies are here saying, would you please tell that to my husband? You see, we want to, but when God says it, it actually happens. So when God calls us to do something, he also he calls us by way of his promises, and you can take it to the bank. For instance, when he called Abraham, he called him to a land that Abraham had not seen. He said, I'm going to give you children. Abraham saw a little bit of that. He saw a couple of sons, and he said, I'm going to give you a blessing, and he saw a little bit of that. But most of the promises are delayed promises, and we have to take them by faith, just like old Abraham. Here, I want to read from you from a book you probably don't go to very often, but Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many of you here believe that that verse is true? You should raise your hand. I'm prompting you. Okay, raise your hand. That verse is true. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is that true? Yes. Does the United States of America look like that today? No. It's not true yet. But it will be when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. It's a promise. He keeps his promises. Proverbs 22, 26, this one will come a little closer to home. Anybody know that by, by heart? Proverbs 22, 6, excuse me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay. How many of you learned that verse when you were in Sunday school and memorized it. I did. Now, I think my parents were kind of preparing my mind. All right? Now, here, Danny. I was Danny when I was little, and then I got to a certain size. I didn't fit that anymore. My wife still calls me Danny most days. And, uh, but train up a child the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Is that a true verse? It is. Do children ever rebel? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of you who have older children here live it. Children who have walked away from the faith. What do you do then? Do you just quit? No. 
because it's a promise of God. So is the promise true? Do we always see it? No. Man, I wish I could tell you that your kids are going to love Jesus as much as you want them to, but they won't. I got a 25-year-old, a 19-year-old, and an 8-year-old who's autistic and can't talk. Which one of them causes me the least suffering about her spiritual condition? You want to guess? Her name's Sophie. She's not rebellious. She doesn't disobey ever. She just doesn't know. I do not tell my older kids, would you please act like your sister? <laughs> but this is a true promise. And just as God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make your name great. And 4,000 years later, all over the world, everybody knows his name. Just in the same way, the promises that God makes to you for your children that you raised and you taught the precepts of Scripture, they someday will remember them. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know if it'll be on their deathbed. I don't, I don't know. I had two, well, several uncles, but two that uh, were real humdingers. One was a churchgoer. One abandoned the church. I was about 10 years old, and I was over visiting him, and I wanted to encourage him because my folks were always in church. And I said, Uncle Bill, and he's, they're both long passed away, so they don't care if I tell you this story. I said, Uncle Bill, I said, why don't you go to church with me on Sunday? And uh, why don't you go to church? You should go to church. And he said, no, he said, I ain't going to church. He said, he said, that church is full of hypocrites. Well, I had heard a good one somewhere, and I said, well, that's okay, Uncle Bill. There's always room for one more. Um, it didn't go over so well. <laughs> Old Uncle Bill abandoned the church. He got mad because somebody said that ushers shouldn't wear beards. So now you know. You want to watch that. That was just an excuse, wasn't it? Yeah. And then he got to arguing with his younger brother. And I mean to tell you, they would, the things they said about each other. And my father was the middle brother who had to deal with both of them. And, uh, you know, there were, they actually, we wondered if one day one of them was just going to kill the other one. They, of course, they tried to buy a farm together. Don't, uh, you can imagine. <laughs> one day, my older uncle, 65 years old, and, uh, his younger brother's having coffee at breakfast, and his wife looks out the window of the farmhouse there, and, and his name was Ed, the younger brother. And, he, and uh, Shirley said, Ed, your brother's outside. And he said, oh, Kenny, that's my dad's name. And she said, no, Bill. Does he have a gun? <laughs> no. And he stood there for a while, and he said, well, I guess I'm going to go. Because he just stood there by the car. So he went out, and as he went out, uh, Bill began to cry. And he said, will you please forgive me? I've wasted our lives. You're my baby brother. I've wasted our lives. I walked away from God. I walked away from, I've wasted our lives. And I just 
got up this morning and I had to come and say, would you forgive me? Oh, of course, you know, that now, of course, they cry, they forgive each other. My Uncle Bill died the next morning. But what a beautiful way to go. His mother prayed for him every day of her life, that he would stop, that he would get over his anger and bitterness. Is the verse true? The verse is absolutely true. God's promises are true. Their, prom their promises were true for Abraham. They're true for you. They're true for your children. You hang on to them. You get your grips in them and don't let go. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe that? You haven't seen it. Some people believe only an empirical truth. You can't show it to me in a test tube. It can't be true. I'm stupid, of course. I believe it. I haven't seen it. That's where I'm going. That's where my mom and dad are. I know because of their faith in Christ. Believe it. The book says it. It's true. Second, we like Abrahams are pilgrims in this world. Folks, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. You're a wanderer. You're a pilgrim. This is not your home. The Jewish people, for many, many years, recently they've gotten away from it, they would build things and then they would leave a part of their house unfinished because they said, this isn't permanent. We're going home to Israel. I visited uh, two different synagogues in Amsterdam and they're very beautiful, but inside there's one part that's just kind of broken, not finished. And it's quite prominent. And, and, and the guide said, well, of course, we always leave a part undone because this isn't it. The temple's going to be rebuilt. There's a story of a man who was, went camping, of course, and his, he watched his friend as they were putting, in the, putting up the tent, and he drove those tent pegs in the ground, and he just drove them all the way down in so the wind wouldn't take them away. And, of course, he, he smiled and said to his friend, now listen, hey, don't put those tent pegs in too deep. We're leaving in the morning. And, and so are we. And what I mean by that is don't put them in too deep. Don't focus too much on your house. Don't focus too much on your business, on your car, your ties, or your clothes, or any of that. None of that really matters at, in the end. In the end. We are pilgrims in this world. I want to close with this, the need for altars in our life. In the Old Testament, Abraham, you notice, he came into Canaan, he built an altar so he would remember. And then he went a little further and he built another altar so he would remember. And altars are important. It's good to remember. We're going to remember this morning, aren't we? Right here, it's a communion table. In the Old Testament, there were altars and they looked ahead to the cross. And then Christ, of course, was crucified on an altar, a cross, and now we look back at it when we come to the communion table. But altars, folks, are very important in our own lives. Altars are there for sin and sacrifice and substitution. They look to the coming of Jesus. Abraham didn't know who that final blessing would be, but in verse 3 it says, And I will bless those who bless you. Um, and in you, 
all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, that's through Christ. Christ Jesus was that promise. Altars remind us of our promises, don't they? Of our commitments. Do you have any altars in your life? you have any altars? I'll bet you do. Now, though I notice you wear one around your neck with your cross there. I'm not sure exactly why you wear it, but it's probably significant, isn't it? All right. Uh, how many uh, this morning have wedding rings on? Would you just raise your hand? Yeah, okay, that's an altar. I, I, you'll notice somebody will ask me sometime, why do you wear your wedding ring on your right hand? Well, if I'm here long enough, I'll tell you the story. Because we wear those so that other people know we made a promise. Abraham built those altars so the Canaanites would come and look and say, what's that deal? Well, that's a promise to God, to Jehovah. Well, who's he? Why would you do that? You wear your altars so that others will see and know. I often travel... Now, about six times a year, I go overseas. One of the things that I do is when people will ask, and I do a lot of travel in Latin America, and I speak Spanish, so inevitably the question comes up, oh, why do you speak Spanish so well? And I say, well, I was a missionary for several years. So one of two things happen. I get a smile or I get a step back. But what happens? I don't get invited to the bar. I don't get invited to the strippers. I don't get invited to the rowdy carousing. Good thing. Because I'm afraid of myself. And I put it out there. Here it is. This is who I am. Right away from the get-go. And where your altars. I travel with a Bible. I have a Bible on my desk at work. As I tell people, if you don't like it, get over it. Go work somewhere else. Jesus, those altars focus our minds on Christ, on Jesus. Jesus died on that altar. He died for you. He died for me. Now, I want to know how central he is in your life today. How much do you think about him? Is Jesus your altar? In your life, in your family, in your home, in your business, and it may sound funny, but in this church. You see, the church doesn't function based on one pastor. The church, is it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about a good preacher. It's not about good music. It's not about chairs instead of pews. It's not, no. It's about Jesus. And if Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, is the center of focus of your life, and as a result, in this church, this church cannot be stopped. It'll go forward. Altars in our lives. There was a little boy in London once who was lost, and the policeman came to him and said, little boy, uh, where's your home? And he, he was pretty little. He didn't know his, his address. He didn't know, and policeman was trying to figure it out, and in London, in the center, there's a big cross called Charing Cross. And all of a sudden, the little boy lit up, and he said to the policeman, he says, but, but if you take me to that big cross, he said, I can find my way home from there. And so can you. 
and so can I. Keep Christ in the center of your focus, in the center of your minds, in your home, in this church, in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your example of Abraham. The promises you gave, you're a promise keeper. Lord, help us to follow you. Lord, help us to have altars in our lives that remind us of you, keep us focused on you, and bring us back to you. Now, Lord, as we come to the communion table, draw our minds back to your sacrifice. Draw our minds back to you and your love for us. And Lord, I pray for these, my friends, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that you will, the Spirit will move in a mighty way in their lives and in my own, and keep us focused on you and what you have done for us. And that we may remember, Lord, this world is not our home, but someday we're going to get there. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.